Our reading this morning is from the book of Esther, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace, but no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahazu Eris said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Look! The very gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahuerus, both near and far enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month, year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. Here ends the reading of this word. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. As we continue its reading, we now find ourselves in the ninth chapter, beginning with the 38th verse. I will read through verse 50. John said to them, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For I truly tell you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Better you enter life maimed than have two hands and go to hell, to unquenchable fire. 
Your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. For the ways in which you speak awaken our hearts to hear. For you have the words of eternal life to the glory of Christ. Amen. The festival is called Purim. P-U-R-I-M. Purim. When translated, the word Purim means uh, casting lots, or a more modern equivalent would be tossing the dice. Some randomizing activity, and there's a festival in the Jewish calendar that is Purim, the reminder of the casting of the dice, the roll of the dice. It is celebrated once a year in synagogues by the reading of the entirety of the book of Esther. We gave a little summary at the end of the story today that Jennifer shared with us. But you would go to synagogue and you would hear the whole book of Esther being read to the congregation. Now, as tradition has evolved, it is customary now for people to uh, dress up in the costumes of the various characters, to act it out, to cheer for the good guys and boo for the villains. The reading takes a few hours, but if you get into it, it turns out to be fun for every age so uh, indulge me for a moment. Quickly told, the story goes something like this. It's the 5th century BCE, and King Ahasuerus reigns over 127 provinces of the Achaemenid Persian Empire. It includes all of the Jews, who are in a significant minority, but he is their king. Celebrating a great victory, Ahasuerus proclaims seven days of feasting during which the entire court gets incredibly drunk. The members of the court conjole Ahasuerus to get his beautiful wife, Queen Vishti, to dance for them. She refuses, and Ahasuerus is now embarrassed in front of his fraternity brothers because he can't control his wife. And so he has her removed as primary queen and has to choose another. Well, being a great king, 127 provinces, he asks for beautiful girls to come from all over the land and stand before him, and he would select his new primary queen, and his eyes fall upon the young Jewish girl, Esther. The audience, meaning us, know that Esther has been raised by her uncle, Mordecai, who commands the marriage to his niece, telling her that her position in the court may give her an opportunity to someday do great good. Mordecai also has a backstory. One day while he was standing at the gate of the city, he overheard two men plotting to kill King Ahasuerus, and he makes their plan known to the king. And for that good service, Ahasuerus has his court reporter record Mordecai's service to the king in the official royal history. King Ahasuerus now has a new queen, Esther, and has also appointed for his court a new prime minister, a man named Haman. Now, 
this is the point where you get involved. Whenever I say Haman, he's the bad guy. And so I need you to say, boo. Okay? Haman. We're on our way. Concurrent with Haman's appointment, <laughs> the king asked permission. Uh, Haman asked permission of the king. Very good. If he could wear fancy clothes and strut through the city, and when everyone came to him, he could command that person to bow down. And they had to say, Haman, the most magnificent, I worship your wonderfulness. Ahasuerus says, fine, whatever. And Haman goes out. One day, Haman encounters Mordecai. Now, here's Mordecai. He's going to be the good guy. Okay, so what do you say for the good guy? Yay, hooray, or yay, there we go. Okay, one day Haman encounters Mordecai by the city gate. Haman asks Mordecai why he isn't bowing down. Mordecai explains that Jewish people bow down to no man. They bow only to God. Haman becomes angry. And pouts to the king, telling the king that there is a person and a whole race of people in his kingdom uh, that did not bow down. And could he have a special spending account to eliminate these disloyal people from the land? Ahasuerus again says whatever. And Haman sets out in his plot to execute all the Jews. He needs to pick an auspicious day for the execution, and so he rolls the dice. That's where the Purim comes in. He rolls the Purim, which determined that the 14th day of the Jewish month Adar will be the day that executions will begin. He also erects a gallows 50 cubits high. A cubit is about 18 inches, so it's 75 feet high, from which he is going to personally execute the first victim of his purge, and that will be Mordecai. Okay, but here you have, Mordecai is in danger, so instead of hooray, you go, oh no, okay, well, let me back up. The first execution, which will be Mordecai. There we go. Now you can go back to yay. Mordecai who is really connected, knows exactly what's going on. So he comes to his niece Esther, and you can say hooray, and tells her she needs to talk about Haman's plan to exterminate the Jews. Esther knows how difficult it would be because even though she was queen, Ahasuerus had little time for taking advice from women, but she agrees to fast and to pray. Mordecai Ask all the Jews to fast and pray for three days with the queen, seeking protection and wisdom. After her time of prayer, Esther has a plan. She decides to hold a series of parties funded by the First Lady's entertainment budget. And to this party, she invites the king and his prime minister, Haman. At the first night's banquet, she tells the king that she has a secret which he will not reveal until the second night of the banquet. The king wants to know her secret, but Esther is canny, and she just won't tell. All evening long, the king begs Esther to tell what his secret is. Haman continues to grump about the annoying Jews and Mordecai's refusal to bow down to his wonderfulness. The banquet ends, and Ahasuerus retires to the royal bedroom, 
but he cannot sleep. He's wondering about Esther's secret. So troubled by insomnia, he asks the court reporter to read to him from the royal history. I love this little detail in the story because, you know, history even put the kings to sleep. And so the royal court reporter comes and opens the scroll to find some place tedious to read so the king can doze off. And he randomly opens the scroll and begins to read the account of Mordecai saving the king's life. Ahasuerus asks if there is a record of the king saying thank you to Mordecai. The court reporter responds, no, your highness, there is no record of your saying thank you. At just that moment, Haman comes in. The king asks Haman if someone has rendered great service to the king, how should I reward that person for great service? Haman, thinking it was all about him, said, well, your highness, if I actually were given some thought, uh, I would say that someone who has done great royal service should be permitted to mount on your finest horse and dress in the king's very own robes and have servants run in front of him throughout the town saying, here is the one who has done great service to the king. Ahasuerus says, well, that's a very good idea. Haman, it's your job to arrange for Mordecai to get that treatment. Haman is humiliated. That evening, the second banquet begins. Esther reveals, and this is the part that Jennifer read, she reveals her secret to the king, telling that she herself is Jewish. And the Haman was plotting to kill all of her people throughout the land. The king is so angry that he stomps out of the room and goes to the garden and calls the court reporter to determine whether or not these accusations are true. And while he's out of the dining room, Haman throws himself on the queen's couch begging for her mercy. The king comes back, sees Haman throwing himself at the queen and orders that Haman be immediately hung from his own 75-foot gallows. That was the 13th day of the month of Adar. The next day the slaughter was going to begin. But of course, it is halted by King Ahasuerus as a result of the intervention of Queen Esther. What's more, King Ahasuerus appoints Mordecai as his prime minister, and together with Queen Esther, they completely undo the plot to destroy the Jewish people. Mordecai orders the court reporter to read this story into the royal history and decrees that the story be read each and every year on the 15th day of the month of Adar, the day after they were to have been slaughtered, and that was known as the day of Purim, and it is read each and every year in the synagogues to this day. The day that the Jews were to be destroyed turned into the day of their salvation. The end. Ray. Purim. Purim, the random unfolding of events without our knowledge. 
Most of the Jews in the kingdom had absolutely no clue how close they came to their annihilation. In reality, disaster was right around the corner, and before they knew it was going to happen, it unfolded as good. The disciples were walking with Jesus one day when John told them that some folks were trying to do an exorcism in his name. And Jesus said, well, what did you do? And the response, well, we told them to stop because they're not part of our inner circle. Jesus said, what? They were, they were doing good, and they were doing good in my name, and you told them to stop? Why would you stop someone who was doing good in my name? If they're celebrating my message today, They'll have a hard time speaking against me tomorrow. Do we have any idea how many good things happen on our behalf? People who make good decisions, who have dedicated themselves to good service, who have made our lives better, and we have absolutely no clue. What was the name of the farm kid who got up early in the morning to feed the calf that later became your hamburger? What was, what was her name? What was his name? Who was the person who dug the trench for the sewer pipe that lays from your house so that your basement doesn't fill up with sludge when you flush the toilet? Do you remember his name? Yeah, who dug that trench? How about the engineer who designed the water pressure system that made it possible for you to have clean drinking water this morning so you could brush your teeth? Who designed the water pressure system that feeds your home so that there isn't air in the line creating the possibility of aerobic bacteria? Do we know, do we know, do we know her name? Do we know where, where she lived? Who he is? When's the last time you raised your glass and said, here's to the press operator who inked the plate that printed the first book that I ever read. Imagine if that person hadn't done that. Is it possible you ever would have even been literate? Never mind the sheep shearer who combed the wool that became your winter coat, the packer who moved the apples into the cold house, or the truck driver who, missing her family, drove your paper towels to the store. Countless, nameless people who've been working for our good. A grand roll of the dice. A Purim happens every day. Some, like Haman, oh, you got to do better than that. I'm bringing it home. You're coming in, coming in for a landing here. Here we go. Some, like Haman, plot evil through these chance events and others work to undo that evil so here's to the Purim and to the Mordecai's and Esther's who work those odds for good all right all right Interesting thing about the book of Esther, just as one little closing footnote. It's one of two books in the entire Bible that never mentions God. 
Isn't that fascinating? You know there are two books in the Bible? The other one is Song of Solomon. It's a love poem. Some think it was the words of an operetta. And the other was Esther. But when you get to the end and you think about who is guiding the outcomes of the Purim, you know, God's there. God's there. Amen. Let's stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified.